So, you know, really just kicking things off, what do we know about regeneration in general? Anyone want to throw out something out there? Regeneration, what is it? New heart. A hard new heart? Is that? He transforms people who are hard and callous to him and softens them up to see him the way they were not able to before and treasure Jesus like mm. they never could without his help. Dang. Elaborate. Um, I love it, though. I'm going to tell a story, kick this off with a story um, of a Dallas seminary professor who taught a, a preaching class. And for this particular class, you know, just like any all, you know, how they would have people do their preaching, he would have them prepare their sermons. And when he had them do their sermons, he would take them out to a graveyard and have them preach to, to gravestones. Anybody want to know, can anybody tell me why he would do that? Like, why would he have his, his, these zealous young students who are just ready to win people for God and take them out to the graveyard to preach their sermons? Any, any ideas or conjecture? I, I've heard the story before. So mm-hmm. do you, uh, it's because the, um, only God can reach the ears of the Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. I always found like that was a, a very interesting, interesting practice. I was like, yeah, I'm about to have like the best sermon. And they're like, all right, yeah, we're going out to this graveyard. It's like, what are you, what am I doing? Um, but that's exactly right. I mean, it may seem odd, but just like, what was your name? I'm sorry again. Laura. Laura. Just like you said, Laura. I mean, apart from God's work, no matter how elaborate the words, no matter how wonderfully put together the, the body of work is, if God's spirit doesn't move, dead people stay dead. So today we'll consider the doctrine of regeneration. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, who, who, who's written at length about this, says it in this way. To have clear views here is to pave the way for all other doctrines of the Christian life. To have clear views here is to pave the way for all the other doctrines of the Christian life. Goes on to say, to make the mistake here will mean the whole focus of our understanding is seriously at fault. The way I took that was if we mess up here, we got everything messed up. Um, so as a by way of definition, we'll, we'll borrow from Wayne Grudem. Anyone familiar with Wayne Grudem? Systematic theology. He puts it just like it is at the top of, of your, your worksheet. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. So the term regeneration is funny. We've, we've got a whole doctrine about it. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with it. But it only appears one time in the Bible, the, the term regeneration. Anyone know where it is? Hint. Is that the, it's one of those three at, on section A in the worksheet. <laughs> you got like a one in third chance. Ephesians. I'm just guessing. Oh, that's a good guess. It's Titus, right? Titus, yes. Do you want to read that for us? Titus 3. I have it memorized, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you got it. I'm pulling it up. He's got it memorized, right? I don't have it. <laughs> okay. Titus 3.5? Mm-hmm. All right. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. Well, let's, uh, let's take some time to unpack this, um, to understand the context and maybe to help us as we continue to build upon this idea of regeneration. What does this verse say God did? He saved us. And if he saved us, that would also mean that, what are, what are we assuming here? We need to be saved. We need it. We need. We need to be saved. So, as uh, have you have you all been coming working through the the foundations? So you've, you've 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 been hitting them all. So this makes sense. So you know we're currently working through section three of foundations, and as you remember back in section two, we took we took a look at the fall of mankind and Adam and the effects of the fall. What is the the biggest effect, if if I could say that, of the fall? The, the biggest implication or consequence of the fall of Adam? Death. Death. Yes. Death. More specific, spiritual death. And our attention today is not necessarily to, to focus on the fall, but it will help us to understand the context of the significance of regeneration. So, since, you know, we, we needed this saving... Uh, why does the verse tell us that God saved us? Why? What is God's motivation? He's merciful. Merciful. It tells us he did not save us because of works done, because of our righteousness, or that we had earned it. He saved us because he was merciful, according to his own mercy, by the watching of regeneration renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, before we could ever do anything righteous, we must first have the Holy Spirit at work within us. So we see that the verse tells us his own mercy. He is motivated by his mercy. He is merciful. And motivated by his own mercy, how does the passage say he accomplished saving us? He saved us because he's merciful. And he does it how? By the washing of regeneration. Yes. Of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. Thank God he is merciful and wants to do this for us. Now, anyone anyone nice with Greek? <laughs> you good with Greek? Do you know the Greek word, how to pronounce it, the Greek word for regeneration? You show it to me. I, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Okay. I have it here. It's uh, palagenesia. Palagenesia. Wow. Sounds kind of Italian too, but I guess that makes sense too, right? <laughs> so, it means rebirth, particularly spiritual rebirth. The spiritual rebirth and renewal are tied to this washing that God, that Paul is talking about here in, uh, you know, Titus. So it's through the washing and cleansing work of the Holy Spirit that we are given new life from above. So we've gone at length about this regeneration. We've talked about the fall, death. Why does it even matter? Why do we need to know 
Why is it important for us to understand this, this, this concept, this doctrine of regeneration? Anyone? So that we understand that it's God's doing it. Hmm. Yes. It's God who saved us. And even further, if there's no regeneration, there's no salvation. There's no hope. Only death. It's a big deal. And it, and it informs almost everything within our Christian life. And we're going to be moving now to section B, through union with Christ. I should have said we were working in section A. And from now on, I will let us know as we're moving through the section. Um, now, you know, some people may say like, hey, uh, I thought we were saved by the works of Jesus. And that's true. We are. If we keep reading uh, Titus 3 here, Paul goes on to say, whom the Spirit... He, the Father, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We see this is the spirit that is poured out on us in regeneration through Jesus Christ. I want to make a quick detour, but before I do, are there any questions? Concerns? Romans 5. Can somebody grab that? Romans 5, three, verse 3 through 5. Quick. Swift with the scriptures. Where is that in the word? <laughs> and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. There we go. Poured into us. It's the same language we see here in Titus about the Holy Spirit being poured down onto us. Now, what we see is faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means justification for his people. But only... For those people that his Holy Spirit has been applied. It's God the Father, God the Son, working together to pour out the Holy Spirit onto his people. So that's how it works. Are there any are there any questions on that or anything, you know, any clarity, maybe even any comments or insights? I have a question. Yeah. So just to kind of like flesh this out a little bit. We're saying the Spirit is poured out through Jesus Christ, right? The, the one who died and, and rose again to save us. Can you can you say anything about why it's necessary that Jesus should die and rise again and ascend in order to pour out the Spirit? Yes. So he like says some things like that a few times in John, right? Yes. Like, I gotta go away so I can give you the helper. Yes. And we even think, you even... Keeping in step with that washing language, uh, remember the 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 last, right before the Last Supper when Jesus is washing their feet. You know what does Peter say? Wash everything. Well, at first he's like, "Hey, you don't don't touch my feet." You know what I mean? Don't 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 touch my feet. Uh, you shouldn't be washing me. I should be washing you. This is like something of this this was an act of something very lowly and and slave like. And actually, the Jews didn't even want other Jews to be doing this because. Of all parts of your body, your feet were the most part, most likely the part that was going to touch something unclean or that was going to make you sacrament, um, 
ceremonially unclean. Still getting to that. But he, what he, he tells him, if you don't let me wash you, you can take no part of my ministry. What is he, what is he saying? And we're actually going to move into this here. The only way we can receive the, the Holy Spirit is if we unite through faith in Christ. So Christ lives the life that we could never live. He comes, he fulfills the law in twofold. He fulfills the law in truth and purity. He, he honors and loves God with a whole heart, not contrite, not just outwardly, but also inwardly. And he also pays the penalty of breaking, being a lawbreaker. So he completely, on both sides of the spectrum, fulfills the law's requirement. What that then allows us to do is to be able to receive his blessing, to receive his life, to receive the exaltation and honor and glory that God gives him. And actually, anyone want to jump to 2 Corinthians 5.21? Paul actually says all of that a lot better than I did. And whoever wants to read it, just raise. Did you say you wanted to get it here? Did you? I, I, sure. oh, I, I, know. I, I thought I saw you rise up your hand. Uh, for our sake, you made him to be sin, you knew your sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. Any first, any other thoughts on that? Any questions or concerns? What's been said so far? What do you think about that, Zach? Any other clarification or how do you feel about that response? And so by justifying us, by completing the work, it's possible for God's own spirit to dwell in his people. Yes. Because it all rests on Jesus' foundation. Mm-hmm. So as the one who has accomplished salvation, he's then able to dispense the application of salvation, right? Yeah. It's all about him. Absolutely. It's, Jesus paid it all, as we sang to my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> yes? Uh, just learn, in Matthew twenty-seven fifty, it also says when Jesus died, he gave up his spirit. And so I'm wondering if that's part of the reason why it was necessary so I want to make sure I understand well he gave up his spirit um, and you want to know how it ties to what Zach was yeah I thought that like uh, Zach was your question like why was it necessary for God to send the father before he what, what was the is the question is uh, how does the atoning work of Jesus relate to his is now right to give us the Holy Spirit and regenerate us and save us. Yeah, that's a, I, I was just thinking of it's like Jesus has his own spirit until it goes somewhere else, and it seems that it goes somewhere else at the cross. Mm. So much can be said about that. Um, I think I would love to double click on that. <laughs> really would. But um, I think just for the sake of, you know, the the conversation on regeneration, I think it's safe to say um, we can land on Second Corinthians 5.21. Foundationally, at a, at a very broad stroke, in a very broad stroke way, um, Jesus is the atonement, the payment, and the reason that we can have peace, reconciliation, and unification 
uh, with his with his blessings. Um, but that's 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 really good. Great great questions and considerations. Um, so what we see here is, in a sense, by dying and by raising, Jesus is essentially the firstborn from the dead. Anyone want to read? First Colossians, not first Colossians, Colossians, there's only one Colossians, Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Hmm. So he is the first of the new creation, the first of the second Genesis. That's not a book in the Bible that I'm saying. I'm just saying metaphorically the, the second Adam and the first of all those who will also be raised uh, to new life and, and glory. So we've been talking a whole lot about regeneration. And I said at the beginning of this lesson, regeneration is only used one time in the whole Bible. So. We talked about regeneration means being washed, being cleansed, being given God's Holy Spirit. Are we laying it on too thick here to make this a whole doctrine? If it's only been mentioned once, are, are we going too far to, to make this a doctrine? Would you say we're overstating its importance? Anyone want to say why? I see. I saw a lot of no's. We were like, "Hey, you tripping?" No. You <laughs> <laughs> just stop. Anybody want to say why? Well, what's the difference between regeneration and rebirth and the resurrection? Because um, there's the, you know, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha says, uh, "I believe in the resurrection on the last day." And Jesus says, "I am the resurrection." Mm. And so, the the regeneration that we're talking about with the with the Holy Spirit is the it's, it's the first resurrection that Jesus started out. And so, yeah, we might only get the word regeneration a couple of times, but resurrection mm-hmm. is everywhere. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think you all are, that was, that was kind of like a, I love law shows, you know, objection leading the witness, you know, sustain, sustain. Uh, that was a, that was like a, a little trick hook. You're right. We're not laying it on too thick. Um, because even though this word may only be used once, as, as Caleb just pointed out. There's many uh, ways that this same concept has been borne out in Scripture. Um, so we're going to talk about some of those other ways that we've spoken about, that, that the Word has, has borne out, this, the same concept of being reborn, being made alive, being transformed, being resurrected. So I love to let the Word guide us. Anyone want to take us to John 3? Yes. Verses 1 through 8. Yes. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Man, imagine if you didn't have all this, uh, you know, post-resurrection information and, you know, our conversation might look the same as Nicodemus would do. Born again? What are you talking about? What's... What do you think is driving Nicodemus's questions? What do you, what do you think is wrong with his, his questions? Is he missing something? Maybe this will help. What do his questions reveal about his understanding? Was that a raised hand? There's a literalism there. Hmm? There's a literalism there. Yeah. He's... Rigid to the, to the scriptures. Hmm. And we, we see that Jesus actually rebukes a lot of the, the Pharisees for that same reason. And even the disciples, they're looking at things too physically. They're not thinking that there's a spiritual reality that the physical realm is meant to point us to. Everything here in the spiritual realm points us to eternal realities. Yes? Um, uh, I heard that the words water and flesh in the context was uh, it sounded like Jesus was saying that um, they're kind of the same thing um, for the context of that conversation because he says born of, uh, born of water versus born of spirit and then also born of flesh versus born of spirit. So it just, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely it, right there. Okay. You, you're right so on. There's water for baptism, which would, uh, you know, imply the spiritual rebirth. So I just wanted to make sure. Well, here we see when he's talking about that which is born of water sounds like you know birth, he's physical birth yeah it is you know because we see that's what he says in verse five and he follows it in verse six by saying that which is born of flesh is flesh so he's referring to i mean god is the god of both births you know our our, our physical birth and our our spiritual birth he gives both uh you know so what we see though is nicodemus like much of us, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, is thinking merely along the lines of physical, discernible things. Like you said, literalism. And failing to discern spiritual realities. Jesus is not talking about entering into and, and coming forth again from, his mother, from a mother's womb. He's, he's not talking about that. He's speaking of a different kind of birth. A second birth. Regeneration. Yes. Um, well, so I, I know I came in a little late, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, no problem. But it seems like with resurrection uh, versus regeneration, if they're in in one in one context, we might be saying them um, interchangeably, and then in another context, regeneration might be defined specifically because um, having the hindsight of two thousand years mm -hmm. um, versus what Nicodemus is literalism. Um, we can understand all this metaphor and, and uh, talking about things in a spiritual sense so much more, uh, so much easier now with you know hindsight. But um, it's understandable to want to criticize Nicodemus so much because they had a few thousand years as well to you know for those for God's points to get drilled into. Especially mm -hmm. the higher level, but, um, I think the regeneration definition is 
the process where we can understand these things throughout a sermon or whatever have you, but then we're still sinners. The process of regeneration is a lot harder than understanding the resurrection, you know, in, like theoretically. Well, no, I, and I can... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I believe they're two separate things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that we can, you know, uh, unravel there. I would say that for the Pharisees, Jesus kind of expected them to, to know this. Um, if we were to keep reading it, are you not a teacher of the law? You know, <laughs> you know? so he, I don't think he would rebuke us like that. He's just, he would, he, but the Pharisees, yes, because it was their job to discern and be the people, be the ones teaching God's people. Um, so in one sense, there is a bit of a, a, a rebuke there. And resurrection, I think by definition, has you you can't be uh, resurrected in the sense of being unified to your glorified body without having first been regenerated. So, in a a thought paragraph, uh, a diagram, you would see regeneration at some point at a, at a foundational point within res- uh, the resurrection. But the resurrection, I think, is specifically referring to the life. Jesus referring to himself as the resurrection, as as the source of life, the source of glorification. Um, where we'll be able to live forevermore in that world that God says, you know, I'm, I'll be making all things new. Yes. Is it fair to say a distinct, distinction between resurrection and regeneration and that resurrection requires a physical death? Well, not exactly. Okay. Elijah, Enoch, mm-hmm. these are these are people who who will be, uh, you know, resurrected and glorified. Uh, they and they never they had never died. You know, okay. yeah. So. Um, I think that's a bit sticky, though. You know, <laughs> we can get sticky. I would say, though, one of the things we can definitely take away safely uh, without without being in, in, in uh, hairy territory is regeneration specifically is talking about becoming new. When we, th- when we think about the fall, again, you all said it, the fall brings spiritual death, spiritual and physical death. So regeneration is necessary because we need to be made alive. We need to be able to see God as good and as desirable and, and lovely. And that can't happen before regeneration. God is, uh, a, I don't want to, you know, speak flippantly, but it's, 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 it's detestable to, you know, the, the people before regeneration. You know, if you can think to, if you have memories of before you were a Christian, you remember this is not anything you wanted to have anything to to deal with, and regeneration completely changes that. Yes, Caleb. Uh, about that question, this is uh, going to Revelation. It talks about the first and the second resurrection. Mm-hmm. So the throne seated on them, those who had thirty to judge was committed. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, souls in the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast's image, and not received the mark on their foreheads and their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, I think it's regeneration. Mm. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And so there's a, there's a split, and the resurrection that Martha talks about is like when literally everyone comes back. Mm. But there's a second death, and those who are regenerated, which I would think is the first resurrection, 
the second death has a power over them. And so it's, that, that's kind of how I see that. That's, yeah, I, I like that, you know. Um, it, it, seems, it seems, you know, pretty, you know, pretty, pretty consistent, you know, within, within the realm of, you know, what we see there. Um, I really don't want to touch the premillennialism and all that, you know, that stuff there, because uh, that, could, that could be a whole different thing, so. Um, but, yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? I told myself I was going to be expedient, uh, but I'm not. <laughs> all right, well... Let's let's move forward with a di- a different question. How do we know? This may seem ridiculous, but I'm really curious to know. How do we know that the wind exists? We see the evidences that it blows things. Mm. Things move. Things move. We feel it. We feel it. We can hear it. We see trees, you know, being moved. We, we hear and we feel its effects. And Jesus says that it is like this for everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't know where it comes from or how it happens. How does God change someone in an instant? Um, was it the twinkle of an eye? Was it the eloquence of a speech? We, we don't know how it happens, but we can see the fruit. We can see the fruit because the one who is born again... He hear God. He or she hear God's word and responds to it positively. Now they hate sin that they once loved. They they love mercy. They now give glory to God and and want to see Christ edified and exalted, and and worshipped in truth and in spirit. So, according to John three, we must be born again. Uh, we must be given new life. But the question is, whose work is it? How is that person to be born again of spirit? What does a person have to do? We're on to section C. And maybe this kills my riddle. <laughs> the title. Just trying to have a riddle, but it's dead. According to Jesus, it is the spirit who makes someone born again. Who regenerates them? Who among us decided we were ready to enter this world? Who, who uh, you know, was like, all right, I'm ready to be born. I think I want to be born in North America to a family in the Northeast. That'd be good for me. No. Actually, this was one of the most profound truths that helped me understand regeneration. I don't remember who said this, but you know, someone literally asked me, when did you decide to be born? <laughs> like, what type of question is that, man? I'm just here. How amazing, when you really let that sink in, is that truth about being born again in the spirit. That it is God who's, who looked upon Johan, who looked upon Mackenzie, who looked upon Abby. I'm sorry, names are not good with me right now. And said, you know what? I'm going to regenerate them. This should, this should really warm our hearts that the Lord enacts a work in us that we would be born again and that we would respond and, and, and love him. 
Being born is not a decision that a non-living being can make. Decision-making belongs to the living. It's not to say that one who isn't alive cannot make decisions at all, but they're not going to make this decision to follow Christ if, if they are under the curse of Adam. They're dead. Is the same when we're talking about regeneration, spiritual birth. To be born again is not a decision that anyone makes because dead men and women can't decide. We, we don't discern spiritual truths. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Unless you were born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can discern these miracles that I'm doing, but you can't discern the, the, the importance or the implications of what's happening here. So this could be a really fireball question as well, but I'll ask it. Does anyone truly decide to follow Jesus? Yes. We will pace through this. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're right. It is a decision. But it's one that is enabled by the work of regeneration. So let's consider another verse that kind of Paul touches on. Many of you are probably thinking about this right now in the back of your mind. Let's go to Philippians 2, not 2 Philippians. Philippians 2 Verses 12 and 13. And whoever wants to read it, just begin. Yes. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God, I circled God like three times, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What a mystery and a beautiful truth. Can meditate so much on this. But what we can say is no one will be able to discern spiritual reality and thus respond to truth without the spirit enabling, the spirit awakening us. In a sense, regeneration is a work that happens before faith, with faith, interchangeably what happens first do you repent or do you believe first which one is happening uh both yes it does not happen in the sense that any real time passes between regeneration and faith is there faith apart from regeneration no is regeneration that that does not carry faith with it no we might not immediately see the evidence of faith but if somebody's been regenerated faith is there so, want to be clear, salvation is the work of God, not the work of man. We, this consigns all of us to be able to, this consigns all of us to grace and having nothing to boast in. It's not like it happens one time and it's done. It's, hap- it's happened, yeah. happening, and... That's it, and, ha- will, and will continue mm. to happen. Kind of like Spanish has a present progressive. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, like that. If you think of it in other languages, it's a whole lot easier than in the literalism of the 
Got it. That was really helpful, man. Thank you. So, yes. Did you, did you, was that a raise or you just uh, holding yeah. your coffee? <laughs> the, the board of water and of spirit, and part of the reason why I think Jesus just wants Nicodemus to get it, is that there have been pictures of this going on for, in all of Israel's history. Uh, and I think one of the most important is like the exodus of the crossing of the Red Sea, which is um, what happens is the, all of the people who see the Pharaoh coming say, have you brought us out here to die? And Moses says, just sit there and the Lord will fight for you. And the Lord, and then Moses prays to the Lord, he's like, you know what I do? And the Lord says, what are you doing? Reach out your hand. And, part, and so Moses reaches out his hand. The response is a wind, which is spirit, and the wind parts the Red Sea. And, um, and so the spirit creates that thing. And this is another part of sort of ancient cosmology that I don't think people realize is that in Genesis 2, you can see that there are waters above the firmament that no one ever thinks about, but they're totally there. And they're the border between heaven and earth. Hmm. And so Moses reaches out his hands, the Red Sea parts for a wind, and all of the people go through. Not only that, you also see that the, the pillar of cloud that was guiding them, it moves from the front to the back, and Peter makes a point that they were baptized into that cloud. And then they cross over the Red Sea to Mount Sinai where they meet God. And then that same border between heaven and earth is what swallows up all of their enemies. And so that's why in Revelation, at the last day, when everything's done, it says they sing the song of Moses. And so Christ, who is the second Moses, he reaches out his hand, the spirit comes down, and it breaks that barrier between heaven and earth. Meanwhile, all of us sit there, and the Lord will fight for you, and we are walking on our way to the place where we're going to meet God, and then the barrier is going to swallow up everyone else. And so what is the spirit like? The spirit does all of that, um, and we're just sitting back here. Uh, yeah. Man, so much. Um... Uh, what I will say is I'm encouraged by you know, deep Bible study and reading and uh, you know, the, the details you're able to, to discern there. Um, there's so many things you said I have opinions on, but um, uh, what I, I think the only thing yeah, yeah, I think the only thing I can say with, with keeping with time, which what is the time, is oh man, what time is it? There's a clock. Okay, I'm looking. Okay, there we go. Is that the right time? Yes. All right. What I will say is I'm I'm really encouraged by just the deep, you know, study of of God's scripture there. You know, uh, Caleb and, and looking into that. Um, I wish I could go into <laughs> more of that, but uh, don't have a lot of the time. But I think one of the things that you were getting at there is there is a a mysterious working of God and man's will um, that theologians have written at length about you know where does it begin where does it end um it's one of those things that the the word is a bit silent on um but we see that it is a both and an end but with that being said grace is a gift faith is a gift 
Receiving grace through faith is not something we went out and achieved. You know, I didn't go get my theology on to, to earn my way to, to be saved. I, I didn't stay out of time out in elementary school to, to be saved by God. You know, I, I didn't watch myself. Rather, it's just a gift from God. It's his mercy. He found it in his pleasure to, to save and bring to life. Because if we all got what we deserved, uh, we'd have nothing to be happy or hopeful about this morning at all. So let's talk about some other descriptions, other ways that this regeneration has been described in the scriptures. So, yes, other descriptions. <laughs> Section three, I told you I was going to tell you, and I was partially telling the truth. Um, I'll skip the whole middle. Let's talk about, let's go ahead and grab these, these texts in New Creation. Who, who three, what three people want to read these, grab these, and at the time we will, you've got Second Corinthians. Who's got Galatians? Anybody? You're going to do Galatians? Uh, I'll just say keep your thumb in it, and then, you know, when say activate, we'll activate. And who's got Ezekiel? I should have, I got you next. <laughs> um... Can we read 2 Corinthians? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What about the first creation? I'm sorry, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, I'm just reading. <laughs> I didn't sign up for all that. I understand. Um, we just went at length about it. The first creation has been, has been done away with. God has made us new. He's made us new creations. He's made us alive to God's were. He created life out of death. Uh, the, true, the, the, the same is true for the second creation. God's spirit applies the work of his son to us and makes us alive, creating life where there was only death. Who's got Ezekiel? Can you get Ezekiel 7, 1-14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the it was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover your and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold a rattle, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. And our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, 
Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from, from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Amen. That's a lesson right there. <laughs> yes. If you can sum that up in one sentence, if you could, if anyone, in one sentence, I, it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be all glossed up. What is the big idea there? What would you say? I'll take two, just for time. Yes. I like the last verse kind of summing it up, verse 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Mm. This may be a, kind of buried in there, maybe more apparent to some of us than others. Uh, just, you know, we're all different. We all are drawn to different things. How does this life come to these bones? Yes. God's word gives life, which is taking us where we're about to go. It's the foreshadowing of regeneration. It just doesn't just happen. Something has to, to trigger this, this life. So let's move on to made alive. Um, made alive. Actually, if someone could read the, the Galatians verse for me. Who, who had Galatians? Yes, Galatians. Uh, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Hmm. What point is being circumcised if you haven't been made new? You just got a scar on you. <coughs> That's a whole deep thing as well, too. But let's go on to made alive. Who can do Ephesians and who can do the Romans one? Ephesians, Romans. All right. Well, this has in some sense already been rolled up into things we've been discussing, but... The idea of being born again communicates being made alive. Ephesians? Yep. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy mm. because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians, man. Amen. Thank you. Zach. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. How, how often do you meditate upon the fact that you were dead? 
dead. I mean, I don't want to repeat that again, but I was dead, you know. There's no hope for a dead person. They are done. It's, it's, so the fact that we've not only been made alive, reconciled, given the blessings and gifts of Christ, we must meditate on this more often. It is the source of our joy. It is the fuel for our lives. It, it helps gear us in, and, and to be motivated. It is the motivation and inspiration of our lives. To the degree that we've meditated on this and let this sink into our bones will be a direct correlation to uh, you know, our communion and fellowship you know, with Lord, experientially, I believe. Let's move on to New Heart, who's got some more Ezekiel for us. Uh, well, I mean, since you're there, you're right there. You know, you just did the whole. Unless somebody else wanted to get on in, in on this is Ezekiel. All right, thirty-six, twenty-five, through thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall become clean from all your uncleanness, uncleans, uncleannesses. And from you, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I'm having trouble with that word. Uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and, in, and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. It is not for your sake. But his name's sake. What has Israel done? Run away from God. Run away, profane, blasphemed. And what does God promise he's going to do in response to that? Give them a new heart. Wow. Gather them together, cleanse them, give them a new heart, particularly a heart of flesh that is alive to God with a new spirit, specifically his spirit, and what is this new heart going to do for them? To do what they can never do. Walk in his statutes and obey his rules. To actually love him with their heart. And not out of contrived uh, you know, guilt follow after him. Or, or for any sense of pride. They will hate their sin. He's going to give them a heart that actually loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Which brings us to new minds set on the spirit. In order to do anything except what the flesh desires us to do, we must have the spirit of God dwelling in us. This is regeneration, life and peace through the spirit 
our hostility to God is removed. Does anyone want to read for us Romans 8, 5 through 9? Yes. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Yes. So it's, it's hopeful, and it's like, oh, well, what do we do with that? You know, um, the mindset on the flesh is opposed, hostile to God. The mindset on the Spirit loves God, does what God loves. But you can only do that if you're given the this, this Spirit. Here are some implications for us. Three things. We should celebrate God's Spirit's work. We should celebrate sanctification that we see within our brothers and sisters. And it should rightly inform our evangelism. So we celebrate the Spirit's work. That's what I was talking about. We meditate. We have to meditate on this. Think about what God has said about you, about us, what he has done, what he has accomplished. What does that really mean? What if he were still dead right now? It's all different types of ways you can meditate on that. And just think about what it means. No matter where life takes you, you have a living hope. A hope that will not put you to shame. A hope that ends in glory, justification, seeing God's face in a world made new. So celebrate that work. Celebrate sanctification. Life is a struggle. One of my brothers says, you know, sanctification is a squiggly line. Um, we see ebbs and flows, but when we see work happening, we can celebrate that sanctification. So we should make a practice of encouraging one another. When we see God's work working in somebody, a lot of the times we're quick to rebuke, hey, that's sin. <laughs> you, you, know, you need to repent. We're, we're quick to do that, but we need to be all the more quickly saying, I see God working in your life. Amen. A year ago, you weren't like this. A year ago, you would have... He flipped the table or something. And I was greatly encouraged by, you know, my wife. Um, she actually recently did this for me. You know, I was very downcast. Um, and she she literally, you know, just told me how I had, she had seen the spirit change. And man, that was a great encouragement to my soul and my spirit. So thank you. Let's do this. Let's make that an activity. We're, we're very quick to cut people down and talk about how they're they're out of bounds. But we need to show this grace and mercy because it helps the body and evangelism since we know that only God can bring people alive we should evangelize in a way where it's prayerfully done prayerfully carried out it's not on you to get your apologetics sharp and ready to go it's up to you and it's on you only to faithfully <coughs> and courageously not being a jerk, present the gospel as plainly as possible. It should make us very prayerful 
should make us very humble, should make us very gracious. We should not boast. We should not feel a sense of superiority over those who don't believe. Why won't they get it? I mean, can't they see their life is going down the drain? I just don't understand how you could want that for yourself. There's so many different thoughts we can have about people in our lives who don't believe. But we need to remember Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved. No work of your own. We are not here because we got it all together. God's grace found us. And we should want that for the people in our lives who don't believe. So it should be prayerful. It should be humble. But it must be done. One last verse as we leave. Anyone want to get Romans 10, verses 14 through 17? There's so much more we could have said, but we had such a seasoned conversation. Uh, I trust that the Lord will work in us. 14 through 17? Romans 10, 14 through 17. Please, and uh, yeah. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. They got to hear it. You got to hear to be regenerated. So pray that the Lord would set up gospel conversations, evangelistic opportunities, and have those beautiful feet.